0: On the next edition of The Next Phase with Steve Key, uh, the changing face of PR with Dick Grove, CEO and founder of the long-established Inc. Incorporated Public Relations. You know, for 45 years, he successfully led PR efforts for hundreds of companies and individuals, and is uh, a pioneer in implementing both a pay-for-performance client model as well as one of the first in the industry to utilize a remote workforce. Uh, his first book, motivated by his decades in the industry, is titled It's the Media Stupid. Love that name, a PR without the BS. And it's going to be available in December. And it's a sometimes irreverent and humorous look at the art, science, and semi cosmic ability to gain positive press. Hello, Dick, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate being a guest.
0: Well, you know, I, I look at you know, your career, I look at my career. I started in in the media. I got into uh, media relations and corporate communications on pretty well all aspects, uh, doing things in-house, but also working with agencies. And I wondered what your thoughts were about today's sort of PR-media relationship.
1: Well, you know, I... I'll start by saying right away that one of the big lies, okay, of the world of media relations is the idea of relationships count more than anything else. And that's just simply not true. And one of the things I often come across when a prospect is first talking to me or whatever is, what are your relationships? What are your relationships with the media? And I'm I say, well they're good after after all the years I've been in business and all the years that my people have been in business with me, obviously we have great relationships, but guess what that doesn't count worth a damn. What really counts is do you have a newsworthy story and not what the relationship is and uh So I call that the big lie, I guess, is that somehow when you get PR firms that compete against other PR firms by saying, I've got somebody at the Wall Street Journal, I've got somebody on CBS, I know how to, I know who to call when you've got a good story. And my point is, it doesn't matter. It only matters to the media, even if that person is your cousin or your son or even your wife they don't want to lose their job by putting forth a story that isn't of interest and isn't of news value to their audience. So that's the first rule that people should think about is, do you have a newsworthy story? And how do you develop and how do you find that newsworthy story? And that's part of what that book is about, because after nearly 50 years in this business, and by the way, I started with uh, Burson-Marsteller many, many, many years ago in New York. And in those days, and I even recounted in the book, to really date myself, we were graded every day. I mean, every week we were graded on how many column inches we got for our client <laughs> in the media, and and it was often measured by a pica pole. The na- Ask your average twenty-something what a PICA pole is, and they'll give you a stare that you won't believe. So, but my point is that it still counts. The media is is the all-important thing when you're doing media relations with for a client, and uh, uh, and that's why the book the book uh, the title is a play on, of course, the. Uh, The campaign, the war room that uh, Clinton had, which they put on the wall, the sign, "It's it's the economy, stupid, and everything should be focused on that, any communication you have. Well, in our case, what I say is it's the media, stupid, because if you want to get your client in the media, in the media they want, and in the media they need, then you've got to focus on what those media needs are even more so to a degree than what the client wants to say about itself.
0: It, the, the idea, and I, I often talked about this, you know, in my early years, uh, it was all about media. It was all about inches. It was all about what you could do. But I found that the pendulum started to shift in the the mid, mid part of the last decade, and social yeah. media became uh, much more important in trying to find all the platforms. Plus, and I'm not sure if it's the same in the U.S., but here in Canada, there was a real concentration in in media properties. So you didn't have as many places to pitch your stories to. Uh, Do you find that you've had to incorporate more on the social side over the the last couple of years?
1: Well, we have for sure. And what I also find uh, interesting is how agencies, PR firms, have blended themselves in with digital marketing or advertising agencies, and many digital marketing firms are now professing to do PR, and uh, but it's all kind of the digital marketing world, and what I like to say to people is that what you really need even to compete in that world is credible content, and credible content if you're going to if you're going to spread a story if you're going to spread the word through social media and your digital marketing platforms you need credible content to do that the most credible content is when a third party like the media writes something or publishes something or produces something about you a third party endorsement so to speak from the media that's credible content That works best on digital marketing. So, yes, I've seen a major change over the years in terms of uh, uh, social media and so forth. Can you do our social media? (laughs) And, you know, the answer is, sure, we have people that will monitor and post. uh, But what you really need to make your social media work for you is that content. And it's not just advertising, paid advertising. It's it's stories. It's
0: but, the, but there's one thing about stories, and there's another thing about subject matter experts. And I've found over the years that I've had to create both. I agree with you completely that if it's a good story, it's going to sell. And if you target it to the right reporters who are working on something, that's going to work. You also have to seize your opportunities with your subject matter experts so that you have someone who can talk with authority. About a particular item, whether it's a a crisis situation or an economic situation. Do you spend a lot of time working
1: with people about being better spokespeople? We do to a degree, but it turns out that what another, if you want to call it a change, today's CEO, today's marketing person, they're much more hip in terms of being able to speak clearly, get their message across etc. So we don't do nearly as much as what we'd call in the old days where you'd take a day and media train executives, uh, all of that, make sure the code is sit- situated right on them. And uh, and they learn how to bridge from, a, from a, uh, a loose question into an answer that where they want to cover what they want to cover, all of that. And there's less of that today, certainly, because we found that most people, most current executives are pretty hip in terms of they've done zoom meetings for years now. They know how to present themselves. They know how to talk better. So what we do is we spend time a little bit on the, on what they might be asking you, what are the questions and how to get your point across. But that's not in that formal kind of media training that it used to be.
0: Well, it is all part of a conversation, right? You want you know, as a as a guest, you want to be able to get your messages across, but you also want to be able to conduct a conversation. And, and what we've seen in the last two years uh, with the pandemic is this move from you know, being in a studio to working remotely and almost to the point where there really is no excuse for a spokesperson not to be available in any kind of environment. Do you think that we're ever going to go back, or is is this going to be the the wave of the future where we can be, you know, in my in my basement doing interview with with somebody?
1: I don't think we're ever going to go back to exactly the way it was, but I think there will still be the need uh, to do more formal interviews in a studio setting. Yes, I still think that's the case, yeah. and I think clients actually like that they like the feeling that they're, they're rather than being boomed up on, I mean, zoomed up, they're actually sitting across a desk and so forth. So I don't think it's ever going to go back to, you know, lining up guests after guest. but I do think it will. I think the pendulum will swing back a bit, but there's no doubt that remote uh, working Remote communications, all of that is very much here to stay.
0: You've had a remote workforce for more than thirty years, and and yes. over time, um, you know, how have you seen that evolve? And uh, do you find it that you were lucky you were in that position, given the way the world turned?
1: Well, I guess we were lucky, but we, you know, my decision years ago was that the the best people tended to be the people that were more senior level, experienced, knew the media, knew how to talk to the media, had great news instincts. And most of them in those days, when I first started this, they literally, they were commuting. They were commuting in from White Plains into Manhattan. They were commuting uh, from uh, the East Bay into San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera. And to give them an opportunity to work from home, and to get their kind of quality skills, uh, it, it was great, and it worked very well, and it's worked very well over the years. Uh, were we in better position a couple of years ago? Certainly, but we've always had a pretty lean management staff, if you want to call it, at headquarters. And I pride myself on that we still have a brick and mortar headquarters, but the majority of our people all work from home or work from home offices somewhere. And, and I think they appreciated the fact that they didn't have to do much, you know, they were already ready for this.
0: Yeah. I, I always found that, um, you know, I loved my job. I hated the commute. And for me, it was the three hours each day just devoted to commuting. So when, you know, I made the transition to, you know, almost a Zoom-based environment. That it, it 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 took a bit of a weight off my shoulders, but I miss that face-to-face I, conversation. I, do, you, do, you, do you? How do you how do you keep up that that the, the, the relationship with people that you're talking to remotely, or do you have opportunities to bring everybody together?
1: Well, we do have opportunities to bring everybody together. I like to at least once a year. It's been, it's been a couple of years now because of COVID, but I like to bring everybody in for a few days so they all know each other from other than a Zoom call or a voice on the telephone. Uh, but yeah. And I like that. I like that personal interaction. I still like, and this is, I'm archaic, I guess. <laughs> I still like to sell in person. So when I want to call on a prospect and close a prospect or meet a prospect, I still think it's great to reach over, touch a hand, see somebody's face in front of you. So I I still like that. Is it absolutely necessary in today's world? No, but I I still prefer it. And I think that, uh, uh, but as far as remote managing people remotely, um we found it to be pretty good that you 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 want to make sure everybody feels and there's lots of engagement and you give them lots of opportunities to engage with each other it's never going to be gathering around the water cooler it's never going to have that same feel but if you throw that in there once every 6 months then then it it can be pretty effective and we have been doing it for, like I said, as you said, thirty years. So, uh, um, but I would say that on, and our people on average have stayed with us. Probably, I've got people that have been with me for twenty-five years working remotely. Okay, mm-hmm. I've got people uh, on average; they probably have been with me ten to twelve years. So, well, it, it agree- works pretty well.
0: Yeah, there's a great deal of trust that has to go in there. You have to be able to trust that the people are doing what they're supposed to do and that they can perform. Some people thrive in an environment around the office where there's a the water cooler, where there's that social activity. Other people are, are, are fine just being away. But I think as an individual, you have to have a certain amount of discipline to be able to make yourself accountable. Like you, you're, you're conducting your business, but from your home.
1: I agree. And uh, you have to find those individuals that have that, if you want to call it that self-responsibility, that self-discipline. Um, I used to, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but in the very beginning, I used to make visits to my people and I would actually go out there and oftentimes just sleep in their house. You know, I was a guest and and spend time seeing what their work environment was at home talking to them, making them feel more like they were a part of something, even though they weren't commuting in from White Plains to New York every day. Um, and I found that to be very effective. And that's another way, by the way, is don't give up personal interaction entirely. If you're going to manage remotely, keep some of, of that. Yeah. You
0: know, a couple of things I wanted to, to touch on before we we wrap this up. Uh, number one I mean, you've pitched a lot of companies. You've had companies come to you. Right. If someone's considering a PR agency or a representative, what do they really need to do to make sure that relationship is going to work?
1: Well, you've got, I mean, going back to what you said, you've got to have a sense of knowledge. You've got to have a sense that they understand uh, not necessarily your business, but they understand what you do and how to communicate it and the media that are going to be important audiences for your business. Uh, That's something very important. That's not a matter of a relationship where you can pick up a phone to land a story. That's a matter of understanding the media and how it works, but also a sense of, um, uh, a sense of community, I guess, a sense of communication and engagement. Uh, we've been very lucky that in most cases, you can pick it up pretty quickly, even on a phone call, to a degree on a Zoom call. But you can pick up pretty quickly where, there's, where there is a sense of engagement. And I've used that word a lot in my business because it's all the more important now that everybody's working remotely. You got to have a sense of engagement. And uh, and that means mutual respect, mutual humor. You find things of common on a phone call and uh, and you work from that to establish a sense of, this is a company that knows my business and I think they're going to be enjoyable to work with.
0: Well, and, and, and these agencies... You know, often, and I know from working on the corporate side, uh, you call on them on all hours, all time. How do you find time to sort of balance your life? Uh, we, we all talk about mental health. We talk about work-life balance. I, You know, I read that you spend time on a motorcycle. Uh, I used to. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I found that very therapeutic. But But how do you balance your time?
1: Well, I still do it that way. I'm getting a little older, but I still do it that way. I still saddle up my bike and ride two or three times a year. Uh, I find that incredibly relaxing and uh, and uh, re- life refreshing let's put it that way also it does something else it enables you to engage with people out there in the out there in the world beyond your business associates beyond your clients. Uh, uh you know that waitress at the diner the uh the guy that's at the local gas station in uh, st george nevada or something i mean those are those are great things to be able to keep your life balanced uh but i also make sure that even though my people often we talk about it the fact that you're, you're pretty much connected 24-7 when you're dealing with the media and yeah. stories that may be breaking. But we also respect their personal time. So one of the things I do is in my company, we've always respected personal time. If somebody's, if somebody's sick, if somebody's not sick, if somebody's kid is sick, uh, these are important things that you have to respect and uh, so we we keep that very loose and respectful between our people, and believe me that that makes a big difference in holding on to people.
0: Well, clearly that um, that extra bit, and when I was you know, supervising over staff, uh, I felt it was important not to micromanage everything they did and gave them that freedom. I think that they respected that, and I think if you have a respectful work environment, you're going to get more out of your people because they're going to want to, they all believe in the same goal, the same vision of what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah. One of the things I did years ago, when I returned to Burson-Marsteller, I had been gone for 15 years and came back as a general manager of their Southern California operation and, uh, I noticed when i I noticed one, my first day that they had a sign in sheet that anybody that arrived after 9.00 AM had their name circled oh, and they went, it went in some sort of dark book somewhere. And I said, first thing I did was get rid of that book. These are adults, you know, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't grade school. And, uh, of course, I got immediately got a call from New York saying, "What are you doing? You're changing our practices." But, uh, but yeah, you've got to respect your people. You've got, you've got, I don't care how young or how old they are. You've got to respect one. You've got to respect that they're intelligent people, or you wouldn't have hired them. Two, you've got to respect that they all have lives of their own, and understand that they're not going to be just totally dedicated to you twenty four seven. They've got to have a break. Yeah. And freedom yeah. them, them like adults, you know.
0: The um the book that you have coming out, if there's one common theme or message or learning that you
1: would like people to take away from that, I guess without
0: spoiling it, what
1: might that be? Well, I think it's pretty much in the title, you know. <laughs> it's the, the book is about 50 years of uh of um, it's, it's kind of a how-to primer on, on finding the news hook in your story, because ultimately that's all that counts. And uh, it's, it takes you through a litany of, uh, of uh, advice and counsel, I, I guess, in terms of uh, all the different ways to find that news hook, from what you do to how you do it. To the human uh, nature of it, to it—it it gives you a little bit of a primer on how to dig and hunt and find that news hook, and uh, because ultimately that's all that matters. And thus the title—it's—it's it's really the media stupid, yeah. and 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 well. you know, one of the things—one of the things we often—I've said to clients respectfully, but I've said to clients—is you know it's really not about you and you, what you want to say, it's what the media wants to hear from you. And if you fit within what their needs are, and that's where a good PR person comes in, is understanding how to fit a client's needs into the media. And again, we're talking about earned media here, Steve. Right. So, no. And uh, if a client, if you know, if you can do that, then you've got a happy client because a happy client is one that's seeing themselves show up, you know, all the analytics in the world are not going to count. If, if you can get them on a cover of Forbes, you can throw out any analytics you want to call. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. I mean, it was like me, if, if we were on first page above the fold, I could uh, dine on that for maybe two or three days. I always said I had one foot in the penthouse and one foot in the outhouse, and depending on which way the wind was blowing, was how my day was gonna go.
1: Well, I have a I have a uh I have an old client, a a, a former client that said not too long ago, and that's one of the reasons for the book and so forth, was that what it's real media relations placing stories in major media as well as secondary media is almost a lost art today
0: yeah
1: and it earned media is a lost art and so that what the book is about basically is here are some here are some tips on how to find and do and and work within that lost art and maybe create something yourself in the way of good stories for your clients that are published published or broadcast
0: well, I thank you so much for your, uh, for your time, your expertise today. I wish you um, great success with the book and ongoing success uh, with the company. Uh, thank you so much for this today.
1: Well, I appreciate it and I'm sure' I'll, I'm sure we'll figure a way to send you a copy of the book when it comes out in December, Steve.
0: Wonderful. Well, the next phase is always looking for storytellers, leaders, just plain old-fashioned good advice. Uh, Check us out on Buzzsprout, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Until we chat again, have a great day.